Hello and welcome to this latest CN podcast. I'm Anthony Myers. The 2022 Coco Barometer has just been published. And in this episode, I chat to Anthony Townsend, one of its authors and also the managing director of the Voice Network. Anthony talks us through some of the current sustainability developments in the cocoa sector and highlights the critical issues it still faces. Take a listen. As as the cocoa barometer gets into the, the crux of the issues straight away, as it normally does, um, you know, why haven't the major problems of sustainability in the cocoa sector been solved yet, despite decades of discussions? I think that's what people would like to to um, hear about and your yeah. take on that. I think there's a few reasons for it. Um, what we already wrote in the last barometer, um, mm. and I've seen a major change in that already in the last two years, is we've never solved the problems because we didn't really have to. Um, all of the sustainability programs were based on voluntary uh, um, ideas. Um, and I think the last two years, we've seen a major change starting to take place in the regulatory environment with the especially with the eu developing a series of regulations uh, around sustainable supply chains whether that's on deforestation or in due diligence yeah. and you've got quite a few different legislative approaches yeah. in 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 different countries in europe starting to take shape so we're at the beginning of really a new paradigm on the role of government in 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 leading the conversation here now mm. i'm not naive i think that this is a complex instrument and like any complex instrument it will take quite some time to calibrate it properly so i think we won't be able to properly say whether or not it is having the intended effect for the next 10 or 15 years um it will require a lot of careful calibration there but i think the second reason besides the mandatory nature that was missing i think the second reason is that Basically, since the beginning of the commodity trade, um, commodity trade has been decided by people in boardrooms or in the corridors of power in Europe and the United States. And so those decisions have always been made that serve the interest of those people in the boardrooms and in the corridors yes. of power. And so the options that actually do make a real difference often don't get chosen because they are not in the interest of the boardrooms and the corridors of power. And I think that there's a real direct link there with the history of colonization, decolonization, and mm. basically European and North American dominance of the rest of the world. I remember when I was in Cote d'Ivoire for the first time a long time ago, mm -hmm. um, the farmers there already were saying, what we really need is higher prices. And that really has to be a part of the solution, but because that doesn't fit the narrative <laughs> that we have in Europe and in the States, that's never really been one of the one of the solutions we're putting at the table. And so I think it's a combination of voluntary nature coupled with we're going to do what serves our interest rather yeah. than we're going to do what we know needs to be done, but is inconvenient. I say, and by that, by serving our interests, you mean the uh, the the interests of the of the industry, the companies, basically. Maybe I'm taking up a little bit too much responsibility on my own shoulders when I say that. But indeed, the interests of the powers that be. Yeah, the powers that be. Okay. Well, here here's here's a question for you that uh, that, that that this the cacao the cacao barometer always prompt 
proposed this for me when it is when, when it is published. It's biannual. It's um, the last one was two years ago. Um, in those two years, you know, I've been reporting, as you know, on on the sector on many of the issues, and and you know, if monthly, if not weekly, you know, Confectionery News receives press releases from chocolate companies and suppliers mm -hmm. claiming that they are hitting their <coughs> their sustainability goals. <coughs> <clears throat> excuse me, for more transparency in their supply chain. They have set self, um, self-regulated targets of 100 cent by 2025. Um, so should we in the media and therefore consumers as well, you know, take these claims with a pinch of pinch of salt. I mean, you know, what, how can, how can we square this, um, the, the two? It really is to a large extent, people grading their own homework. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you give yourself the benefit of the doubt when you're saying whether you gave a good answer to a question or not. But actually, very often, the answers we're giving are not the questions that were being asked in the first place. And so I think a lot of the programs that we see are classical development programs to some extent based largely on charity or on what farmers could be doing differently. And I think that there's a role for improved business practices at farm level but the things that very seldom are talked about and the things that very seldom are required to change are on the level of governance although we're seeing more conversation around that over the last few years particularly around <coughs> regulation what we're missing in that conversation is what we need more around transparency and accountability of financial streams better infrastructure and those things that's one of the key elements that needs to happen besides the agricultural practices or what happens at farm level. But the other thing that we really need to see change is changed purchasing practices, changed business practices. Because the thing is, is that none of these large chocolate companies' core business is to run development programs in West Africa. Their core business is buying and selling cocoa and cocoa-derived products. As long as that core business doesn't have to fundamentally change at all, then you're just doing business as usual. I think that's where a big part of the change needs to come into. When I see a company claiming they're going to be spending hundreds of millions in the coming years on a sustainability program, but not a word about how they're going to buy their cocoa differently, yeah, that brings questions. Absolutely. I, I, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I've looked, I've had a quick look at the cocoa barometer. Um, as, as always, it's very detailed. It's an, it's an excellent, it, brings to calls to account the industry like no other publication does I think that I've that I've seen in my four years reporting on cocoa and there's a fantastic um, paragraph that that sums a lot of the the issues up and you put it succinctly and eloquently when you write about the two branches of the cocoa problem tree environmental protection and human rights both stand on a tree trunk of farmer poverty this poverty is exasperated by the current cost of living crisis. I mean, you go straight, the, the, the barometer goes straight into the key issue of farmer, farmer income and living income, doesn't it? And, mm -hmm. and there, that's, you know, it's, and as, as we've seen, you know, the industry throughout the years I've been reporting, it's calling for systemic change, but, you know, there doesn't seem to be much going on, on there. There's, there's been various schemes, various um, programs to to alleviate farmer poverty, but and as you say, with the cost of living crisis and the and the global situation, it's getting worse, isn't it? Mm -hmm. and, and that's not necessarily 
a, 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 the fault of the industry, but they are they are part of the problem, not really the solution, aren't they? At the moment, and definitely in yeah. Ghana, where this cost of living crisis is yes. even worse than in Cote d'Ivoire because, yes. because of the inflation, yeah. uh, the currency devaluation, mm -hmm. um, you know, that is news that we are following with extreme concern. Yeah. Yeah. And you cannot put all of that on the cocoa sector, um, but cocoa should be part of a solution. And yeah. um, I think that's where we're not seeing cocoa being a part of the solution at the moment in the way that it could and that it should. Um, by now, I mean, we started talking about living income for the cocoa sector in the first cocoa barometer that I wrote 10 years ago. Yeah. 10th anniversary is author of the cocoa barometers. And the very first recommendation we put in the 2012 cocoa barometer was we need a living income for cocoa farmers. Yes. But nobody was talking about it at the time. I think now, a decade later, we're at a point where the topic is ubiquitous. But the delivery on that topic is just completely absent. <laughs> we're not seeing incomes go up for farmers at all. No. And we're seeing everyone talk about it. And how come we've got such a disconnect between what we talk about and what we see on the ground? I know, I know. It's um, here we are again. I <laughs> just say you're two years on from your last one, and again, there, there's been some good work um, being done, and there's been recognition of the seriousness of the problem. Um, there's there's a, a lot to digest in the barometer. It's it is a fantastic a fantastic read. It does it does hold the industry to account like like no other, as I've said. Um, I'm probably going to look at a separate webinar, but I looks like I I noticed. Again, the barometer deals with uh, the financial markets, the uh, the hedge funds, the financial speculation, how, how that influences prices. But there are no measures to protect farmers against these price fluctuations, mm -hmm. are they? As I say, there's a, it's a separate uh, discussion. But what would you say to to the markets, to the uh, to the hedge fund managers, and how can, how can they help change things if indeed they if you, if they want to change the situation? So we've seen the financial markets take a very different role in the decade mm. that I've been writing about this. Um, after the global financial crash in 2008-2009, basically financial markets started to become regulated more closely. And that, that, that did push kind of some of the more cowboy investment funds into other kinds of investments, including commodities. Now, you need these funds to some extent because you need the finances to make the futures market work. And the companies need the futures market in order to be able to assure themselves yeah. of future supply, right? So it's yeah. not all bad, no. but it's gotten completely out of balance. And so there's a lot of people there now that are making a lot of money off price differences between London and New York, making yeah. a lot of money off differentials, et cetera, et cetera, that are not interested in the effects of chocolate uh, on the cocoa farmers. And I think that that is a big problem, is we need to get to a place where there's a lot more balance between those that actually have a vested interest in the cocoa sector and those that don't. Um, but I think that we often err to the point that we focus too much on what the financial markets can do. And I think the financial markets are one of the tools in a very broad array of toolkits around how much actually gets to the farmers. And I think mm. that too much 
primacy is given to the terminal market. So the terminal market can be a perfect way of defining how the terminal markets work, but that doesn't have to be the be all and end all of what the farmer gets. And we actually see examples of how you can say, okay, so that's what the terminal market does. And on top of that, companies can do more, right? And every company that wants to can, and we've seen quite a development in the last two years around that, um, specifically around living income reference pricing systems that have been developed by Tony's and uh, by Fairtrade. The two of them together have developed a system that says, so if this is what the markets do, then this is what companies need to do additionally of their own volition so that farmers get to the right price level. Now, there's a lot that you can say about that model, and we have issues with the way that they make their calculations. But even with all of the caveats there, it's a model that works a lot better and that takes a lot more responsibility at a corporate level than anything I'm seeing from the large chocolate companies. And interestingly enough, we're seeing uptake of that process primarily by European retailers. And so they're using that for their home brands. And so it actually shows that it's a model that's scalable, that others can use, et cetera. And something like that, where a large chocolate company like Nestle or Mars Mm -hmm. or Mondelez Mm. should be able to say, okay, so this is what the market does. But we know that our farmers are poor, so we can do more and we should do more. And that's a, a very, very good point. Um, and that's that goes to the crux of, of, of the issue, I think, as well. Um, on, the, on that note as well, I, I find it interesting that this year, you know, the, 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 this, the 22 Cocoa Barometer you know, is published in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, it's one of the most lucrative holiday uh, seasons for the chocolate and confectionery sector. Um, so what would your message be to the industry and also to, therefore to, for consumers who are buying the chocolate? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what is regarded still as quite a luxury item, isn't it, when they put, yeah. put in their Christmas stockings? So, so there's two very different messages there the, mm. to the consumers and to the, to the companies. Mm. I think to the consumers demand chocolate that has actually paid a fair price to cocoa farmers. Now, what chocolate that is, is a lot harder to find, right? I think that that there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of very nice marketing that goes into uh, this conversation. But basically, we need to see chocolate that pays significantly higher prices at farm gate level. And I think that is also the big challenge to the chocolate companies and the, the cocoa and trading companies as well. We need to stop talking about our programs and we need to start talking about our purchasing. It's as simple as that. Um, that that there's a very big message to the governments as well. We need yes. strong regulation in consuming countries, but we need a lot more transparency as well as investment in infrastructure, in uh, uh, in the producer countries. And I think that an initiative like the LID is a really interesting one. As I said at the beginning of this yeah. conversation. You know, one of the reasons why we haven't solved this problem is because decisions have often been made in Europe, in the US, in the corridors of power, in the boardrooms of the large multinationals. The Mm -hmm. lid is a very interesting development in that it's trying to wrest some of that decision-making power away from there. Now, whether it's being done well, whether it's being done transparently, whether it's got exactly the right focus, I find to be a second question, but the I've, fact, I've heard that, those, yes, I've heard the fact that the producer countries have said, you know what, yeah. 
some of the yeah. decisions need to be made here, not there. Mm -hmm. I think that is very val valid. And so to the producer country governments, it's not just about more transparency and more investment in infrastructure. It's also, you know, try to indeed make, make that price conversation one where you are in the driver's seat, but bring other countries on board, Absolutely. but also make sure that you understand what is the goal and what is the means to that end? And I think that the big problem with the lid is it has become the purpose itself rather than the means to an end, which is making sure the farmers get more money. Absolutely. And I think that that's the biggest challenge to the Ivorian and Ghanaian government at the moment is don't, don't confuse a goal with a, with, with a means. Absolutely, because you know I've been reporting on it as well, there's been reports of, various actors in the supply chain trying to circumnavigate the, the lid, trying to stop paying it by, you know, by, by not paying the, uh, the, the quality, what's it, the one from Ghana and the, code, the origin, yeah, differential. origin differential and it's causing, so it's a murky, it's a finance, you know, it's a murky, it's a murky world, isn't it, at, at times and it is murky. And it is complex and it's yeah. hard to prove who's doing what. And at the uh -huh. same time, when I speak to the traders, when I speak to the people in the purchasing departments of these large companies, I said, so why aren't you buying more cocoa with the origin differentials in, in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana? Yeah. And their honest answer, and this is just in the past couple of weeks, they look at me and they say, other destinations are cheaper. Yeah. And I, and I get that, but then don't say that you will buy it because that's what they did this summer. They all went to Accra yeah and they said yes we will buy this yeah but then if you then say but we won't then which one of the two you can't have your cake and eat it too absolutely no okay uh anthony um we'll we'll, we'll wrap up there but i want to ask two two very important questions um yeah. a when is the 2022 cocoa barometer published where can people who are interested in, in this fascinating subject, you know, access it, read it, download it, buy it, whatever. And um, and what what's 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 the what's the what's the big takeaway from this year's report? So the barometer, the 2022 Cocoa Barometer will yeah. be launched on December 7th, will be available right. globally uh, right. on our website, which is right. www.cocobarometer.org. Um, it will be available in the three major cocoa languages, English, French, and Spanish, although the English, the French and Spanish will be a few days late. We've run into a snag with some of the design there. So, um, mm -hmm. but, but the, it will be out, uh, for everyone to use, uh, um, as much as possible. The main point is that we need to stop focusing our sustainability interventions purely on what farmers can do differently. Because the problem of sustainability in cocoa is not because of bad farming. The problem is because of also bad purchasing practices and bad governance. And so governments need to look at what are they doing to do, get better at governance. And companies need to look at not just how are our sustainability programs working, how is actually our core business of being a chocolate company contributing to eradicating poverty, or how is it contributing to making the poverty worse? Anthony, thank you very much. We shall wrap it up there, and we wish you all the best again for the uh, the, the 22 Cocoa Barometer. I know it's widely read um, by the, by the powers that be, so let's hope that you know it can make a difference in in the coming years. So thank you, thank you so much. Many thanks.